In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection, may it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. Last week, we barely had any background to offer on the first reading from the Book of Wisdom. But this weekend, our first reading is from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and we definitely need to fill in the gaps of how Jeremiah finds himself in a pit of mud. (laughs) Jeremiah was living in Jerusalem, and the city was under the threat of being captured by the Babylonians. Jeremiah believes the capture is inevitable, so he tells the people that they're better off surrendering and keeping their lives rather than fighting until the bitter end and having more people needlessly die. Just two verses before our passage begins, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Those who remain in this city shall die by means of the sword, starvation, and disease, but those who go out to the Chaldeans shall live. But the princes of King Zedekiah don't like Jeremiah's message of surrender very much at all. For them, it's treason. And that's where the first reading begins. In those days, the princes said to the king, Jeremiah ought to be put to death. He is demoralizing the soldiers who are left in this city and all the people. Hearing these angry princes, King Zedekiah gives Jeremiah over to their power, and in a way very similar to how Pilate will give Jesus over to the Jewish people to be crucified. Now in the hands of the princes, Jeremiah is placed in a cistern, or in other words, a big pit for storing water. But since Jerusalem has been under attack, the cistern is dry and it's only mud. Cisterns at the time were shaped like your grandmother's lemonade pitcher. The top was narrow, and then it widened out at the bottom, preventing someone who had fallen in from getting out by himself. Jeremiah is left to die there in this cistern until a court official, Ebed-Melech, approaches King Zedekiah and asks that he be allowed to take Jeremiah out. The king, for whatever reason, decides Ebed-Melech can do this. And so the story ends with Ebed-Melech, along with three other men, taking Jeremiah out of the cistern. You may remember last week when we took a trip to the Faith Hall of Fame in our second reading. Well, this weekend, we pick up with all those in the Faith Hall of Fame making up so great a cloud of witnesses. And then from there, the author of the letter to the Hebrew Christians tells his audience to persevere in running the race that lies before them. When we hear this, we should be picturing a foot race, which was the first of the five contests in a Greek pentathlon. A foot race at the time wasn't what we might think of as the Boston Marathon today. No, a foot race took place in a stadium and never exceeded more than three miles. But nonetheless, as anyone who's ever run a long-distance race can attest, endurance is necessary for this sort of race. It's that endurance that the author is encouraging his audience to have when it comes to their faith. While running, they should keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith. Just as runners should keep their eyes on the prize, so to speak, and look towards the finish line, so too are these Christians encouraged to keep their eyes on Jesus. And in fact, the participle used says that they must look away to Jesus, meaning that they must not only look to him, but also look away from all that might distract their gaze. Now, at first glance, Jesus might seem like a bit of an arsonist in our gospel passage. It begins with him saying, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. This is a notoriously difficult sentence to translate. But no matter how it's translated in your own Bible at home, Jesus is using the image of fire here to allude to one of two things. Either one, the calling down of the fire of God's judgment, which was a common theme of the Old Testament, or two, the calling down of the fire of the Holy Spirit, which will occur, of course, at Pentecost. 
But from there, Jesus says that he has come not to establish peace on the earth, but rather division. How does this make any sense, especially when 10 chapters earlier in this same Gospel of Luke, the angels announced peace to people of goodwill at Jesus' birth? Has Jesus changed his mind? No. Rather, the answer is that those who accept Jesus experience peace, yet are then divided from those who refuse and reject his message. There's a very important point to remember here. In choosing to follow this radical new rabbi named Jesus, his disciples would be departing big time from their ancestors' religious beliefs. This was a big cultural no-no, because after all, how could the Messiah sent from God be breaking apart family harmony? In anticipation of the division he would cause, Jesus assures his followers that division, even among father and son, mother and daughter, will occur for those who follow him. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.